Hello everybody, it's 40k lore time, and we're gonna learn about things and waste all your time. Hi, so uh, welcome back to our second episode, I guess officially, of Foxtrot Battle Line. There is still uh, that intro episode from last year. Um, we'll probably get rid of that eventually, but thank you for tuning in, um, and we hope that um you enjoy your episode today is the big day um space marines so <laughs> oh yeah space marines um yeah so we'll dive into that eventually but we have a guest uh, one of our buddies Corey, is on the line and he is a blood angels player and um i am a dark angels player as previously mentioned so um we're going to try to focus on uh those two factions but we're going to touch on pretty much everything and unfortunately we have to talk about the ultramarines which uh kind of blows but <laughs> does anyone care about the ultramarines oh yes oh yes i have, oh, I have like a dot 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 in my notes for ultramarines <laughs> i think i wrote womp womp when i wrote it down but um just talk about everyone who likes the flavor of vanilla at once yeah exactly um so i guess without further ado uh that's cory and um he's calling in today from new york and uh, we're up here in shelton um, just real briefly, uh, follow us um, on Instagram, Foxtrot Battle Line 5198. Um, our Facebook is Fox, Foxtrot Space Battle Line. And um, well, actually, I forgot to mention this last time, but we're launching. I'm working on a WordPress site that will be launched uh, right now. We kind of have a uh, makeshift site that comes free with our uh, distribution platform for the podcast. So um, it's it's all right, but you know it's nothing fancy. But we want to get more content than what they have on there. So um, mm. I'll be doing a WordPress. Uh, Lou's obviously here. And, oh yeah. Um, Corey, I guess uh, you know first off, uh, talk about you know uh, introduce yourself. Talk about some of your experience with 40k, uh, your background, and um, you know what you love, what you maybe don't love as much, <laughs> and then uh, you know just kind of give us uh, get us up to speed because Corey will be on here more regularly, I'm sure. So. Nice. Oh man, I sure hope so. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, my name's Corey. I uh, actually grew up with Lou. I've known him since about the sixth grade, I think. Yeah, it's been a, it's um, been a while. It's been a while, right? Like we, have, I have like weird flashbacks to Miss Susie's class <laughs> when we used to play. Like me and so like we grew up together. It's like a weird story. I want to pop in there, but like it's one of the most telling things about my 40k experience. When we were in sixth grade, and I'm sure Lou was a part of this. We literally used to. Uh, take little action figures and make like tabletop gaming in our classroom. <laughs> and me and like one of Lou's like best, like we were really close. Me and Lou and this guy Anthony used to uh, like literally we would invent rules for this game and we built an entire game just like Warhammer. And uh, the teachers took it away from us because someone broke a pen to make their figurine. It was like it was more like BattleTech, and we created this whole game and they took it away. And ever since I've been like mad at education because of it because we had like an entire <laughs> rule system. And it's like, this is the most creative we can be, and you guys took it away. Um, anyways, little tangent there. But um, <laughs> ever since, like, I grew up kind of in Shelton, and I grew up going to Clockworks Comics, and we always played Magic the Gathering growing up, and it was a big thing. And at Clockwork, they always had, like, this back table that was in the dark that, like, we never really got to see fully up close, but there's always, like, buildings and tanks and all these things, and that was 40k for me so growing up it was um, the uh the mystery game in the back eh (laughs) it was literally like the mystery game in the back it was like the 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 boogeyman that i wasn't allowed to play because i didn't have the money and uh i grew up i was always wanted to play dungeons and dragons always wanted to play like 40k and stuff and we grew up and uh played sports kind of fell off on that for a little bit went through college fell off on that a little bit and then as soon as i like got a real job in new york city and was like making making money and got married i decided it was time to like jump in <laughs> I, was, like, on a, I was on a tv show with uh i was working on a tv show and one of my bosses was like man do you you paint miniatures i was like i don't but i really want to and we both got into uh i got into war machine oh which yeah was crazy because at the same time that story about lou worked at and shellen opened up yep so like every time i go home i'd go over there and check it out and be like this is what i want to play and i got into it and i convinced my wife Who's like, how'd that go? <laughs> hey, uh, so I'm gonna be spending thousands of dollars yeah. on me too. <laughs> she's a very beautiful person in the way that we got married, and I was one person, and I'm still that person, but 
I then got money and decided to let into all of my nerdy transgressions and, and really let myself go on that. So she went from like this sports person who loved like football and all that to all of a sudden our walls are littered with small space marines. <laughs> so like me and my boss got into War Machine and I tried to push it on him and then somewhere he was like, man, I'm just not inspired by it. What about Warhammer? And mm. like, I'm always that person who has to do the thing that's not the cool thing. Like not fully contrarian, but I want to make something cool for myself. So I was like, no, we're going to play War Machine. And then one day I gave in and just fell in love with Warhammer. I think I went to the store where Lou was and spent like $200. I walked in and I was like, they're going to hook me up. We're going to be good. And then I didn't tell my wife I was spending like 200 bucks. And I walked out with like five or six boxes. Oh my God. I remember uh, when I was dating uh, someone a while back and got back into the hobby, I remember lying about how much they costed. (laughs) I would be like, oh yeah, that box of 10 Marines. Yeah. That tank. Five ten bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did the same thing because uh, I worked there, and I I would just say, "Oh yeah, well, you know, I just got it for free," or you know, uh, <laughs> but I mean, my paycheck was being garnished for models. <laughs> uh, I mean, the real problem was is is a my wife knows how much it costs, so I started like circumventing that and finding like deals, like talking to different people I know who run stores, and be like, "Hey, what can you hook me up with?" and then. I ended up with way too many boxes of like start collecting and stuff. Mm. Like I got the wrong armies that I've never used that I've finally gotten rid of everything. But like I just had the largest pile of shame because <laughs> no. I was making money and I was spending money. It was like one of those like I've got the money, why not do it? And I just kept buying more and more cool stuff. And I mean, part of it was like my wife doesn't like Space Marines. It, she doesn't think they're cool. But every time I pull out like a different army like Tyranids, she's like, "Man, maybe if you played these guys, I'd think it's cool." <laughs> <laughs> or like I pulled out like Craft Worlds the other day and she goes you didn't tell me they looked like this and I was like no because no one plays these because they're elves and they're lame <laughs> oh. so correction forth, I play them so. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Steven I do not know you enough to call you lame to your face <laughs> not yet you'll get there <laughs> um. Um, no but so like ever since then I've spent like a lot of long car rides driving back and forth from sets listening to uh literally the nerdiest lore i yeah. can find and well i think like, i think a cool thing about 40k lore too is uh i mean i don't know about other gaming systems or just things in general but you know it's kind of like lore of the rings like you get the surface level stuff and then all of a sudden you're like holy shit there's like way more here than i ever thought possible <laughs> well that's the thing is my boss like i try to get him into it and i try to get him into it he's bought like three different armies now he bought like adeptus mechanicus Oh yeah, which I told him not to because that's a terrible first army to buy. Yeah, definitely. Like painting wise and rules wise, so he jumped to tower later on because he decided that Gundam stuff would would make him excited. And I was like, yeah, cool. I mean, I get it. I don't get tower, but I get your your viewpoint on that. And he bought those, and so like I made him look into the lore because it's the most important part for me. Like mm. gaming is great. I've never played. I've never won at Warhammer before. I'm not very good at it. Um, I try. Yeah. I try it a lot, but I'm always subject to the rule of cool. Like I always want to do the cool thing instead of like the game winning thing. Like you're never going to see me castle up. Right. It's just not fun. Well, that, that probably so, lends uh, you, uh, you might like narrative play a lot more than match. Oh play. yeah. No, I'm a hundred percent into it. And I'm a, I'm a dungeon master as well. So like I'm all about the story and that's why like I leaned into lore mm. so hard and I made him listen to the lore and he got into it for like a day. And then came back to me and it's like, man, Silmarillion is less dense than the lore of Warhammer 40k. Yeah, uh, like, I'm yeah, reading that right now. <laughs> it's very true. We're just like, we're, I was like, dude, I get it. Uh, but like, they've had a, a, like a whole room of writers writing nonstop lore for the last like 30 years. Yeah, how many books like, are there in the Black Library? There's, a, there's at least five, right? Because there's Dan Abnett, there's like... Oh, no, I mean just, like, books. There's definitely five or more staff writers, but... I have to... I have to... alone has, like, 56 books. Oh, my. I have to interject for for a moment, um, only because I don't do any lore, and I don't do... To a fault. To a a fault. And and for someone who's new um, or hasn't heard of this before, what is the Black Library? Oh. I don't even know. Uh, well, I can take that, I guess, Corey. Uh, so the Black Library is just their, it's like um, their publishing company, essentially. So 
um, they release, you know, novels. Oh, um, I see. Lots and lots and lots of novels. Um, and any, if you, you know, for example, I told you uh, for IG, um, there's a Gaunt's Ghost um, series of books. And it's about uh, this commander Gaunt. Okay. From the Imperial Guard. I forget. I forget. I don't know the details of all of it, but, um, you know, there's like five or six books just on on this him. one, on this yeah. one commander. So, um, you get a lot of that. You'll get, um, a lot of the characters that are playable in the game, uh, like Araman, for example, I'll give you that omnibus. Um, and Ar- for those who don't know Araman's thousand sons sorcerer, who's searching for the black library in the, in the world, mm. the black library in the context of everything is this, uh, library in the Webway, which I mentioned has like mm. all the knowledge ever. Okay. So, um, it has everything written down. It has secret artifacts and stuff like that. So, and only what the craft world elves can go in and out freely. Harlequins. Harlequins. Yeah. Okay. See, I know a little. I know yeah. a little. Almost. Yeah. Craft world can come in, and same with Drukari, but um, for the most part, uh, the Harlequins guard it, um, and that's kind of like what they do. That's their, their main. Well, their main um, goal here is to make sure that um, that the Black Library is safe. So nice. The big thing with lore is that it kind of, like, if you can get into it, it fully informs everything you do in the game a little better. Like, you can play it and not be into the lore, and you can play it and only be into the lore, but everything is better kind of when you you mesh the two worlds, in my opinion. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think it definitely yeah. helps. I got into this argument with somebody who was like, well, the same person, my boss. I talked to him a lot about this. He doesn't like me much. Um, but, uh, we go back and forth about it, and he's like, you can paint your space marines any color you want. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. The Blood Angels are only this color unless there's this, then there's this color. And I had to explain to him, like, why I paint their helmets blue and yellow. And he got into it, and I, I reached out to my other friend. I was like, Steve just doesn't understand, man. Not you, Steve, sorry. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> my other friend's like, he doesn't understand. That's just how it happens. Like where he sees it as like a game. It's like in our world, this is history. This is like, here's how it happened. Here's how it went through. I'm gonna paint my red coats red, and I'm gonna paint my Germans. I don't know what color the Germans were. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But like that's kind of how lore dictates a lot of playing for me. So as we go into this episode, that's kind of where I come from on a lot of this. Yeah. If that helps at all. And it definitely, I think, uh, it can. You know, like you said, it's all kind of a matter of opinion, but it can kind of inform or make your army uh, add a little bit more depth. Um, And it's easier when you start, you know, like I mentioned in the first episode, we're going to be doing a pretty extensive narrative campaign because that's kind of, you know, what I like as well. I do like playing the game a lot and getting good at list building and all that. But that being said, um, our narrative campaign will, you know, take some of these historical uh, f- facts of some of these armies and then put it into play on like our own world. Um, I do want a lot of like creative freedom with that. So I'm not going to necessarily stick to <laughs> some of the more staunch, um, lore, but, um, I'm just thinking of a dark angels thing right now too. And I'll wait uh, on it when we touch on them because <laughs> that's my jam. So, um, there's a lot there. So, <laughs> But, um, okay, cool. So, you know, that's, you know, an introduction to Corey, um, sort of, and also some, some banter, but, <laughs> um, so, uh, the second thing we wanted to go over here is, um, just kind of an overview of sp- a real brief overview. Let's real, you know, uh, Corey, uh, let's try to like hold back maybe a little bit. Um, cause there's a lot there. Um, but I just want to go, you know, generally speaking over just kind of an introduction to space Marine lore and, um, I guess I'll start off with the first word that should always be said when you talk about Space Marines, uh, the Emperor. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, you want to add to that? I don't know. <laughs> He's there. <laughs> about the Emperor? Yeah, just, you know, maybe a brief. What? Uh, people call him Big Daddy E. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big Daddy E. Yeah, yeah. So the emperor is dying, right? 
Not really. Not, but he's no. being fed energy so that he can Psychers. survive. Literally, he's being fed people. But if he hadn't gotten any psychers to, like, he would just what wither away. I guess, yeah. So he's dying. Know. He's in a constant state of entropy, extreme entropy. Like he's just wasting away. He's a professional, so if he dies, he's a he professional. Oh, he gets um, reincarnated. Yeah. That's a weird deep lore for him. That, that doesn't really matter for the space frames. So let's just say he dies. Would there be an upset in power during that time? I mean, let's just stick, you know, for now, I guess, on okay. what we know. Sure. <laughs> I mean, we can, I just, because I just want to do a real brief. So, Emperor, you know, um, we have the Emperor, and he basically decides to make. Um, these superhuman people um, while he's ruling. And so um, one of the ways he does that is through genetics. Um, So he alters their genetics and basically gives birth to essentially the fathers of every space Marine Legion who are called Primarchs. Mm. Um, And they get spread across the galaxy because chaos gods are tricky like that. And uh, eventually they all kind of find their way back to him. To the emperor. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the emperor is kind of, the emperor is kind of like uh, a King Arthur, if you will. Mm. The way I kind of look at it, which is a big reason why I love the lore, because um, all the primarchs are kind of like the the knights of the round table. Mm-hmm. They all kind of stick in. So basically, the entire universe has fallen to darkness. Like humankind is spread out in the universe to all of these hundreds of millions of planets, and then this event happens. And all of a sudden, they're all in the dark again. And everybody just goes back to their planet and everyone's cut off. Therefore, humans evolve under their own power on the planet they're on. So it's like a weird uh, law of evolution on different planets. And so the Emperor, who's been around the whole time, comes back and decides it's now his time to act. And he creates a bunch of super soldiers that can genetically create super soldiers to take Earth back and then after that spread out to the stars and starts what's called the Great Crusade. Mm-hmm. And he creates 20 suns of them taking from his genetic material to create 20 different suns, each with a different specific important part. Like, he's this way and that guy gets that power and it, it, it's like they're all stood up. So he makes these 20 suns and then he makes 20 legions of super soldiers using that genetic material his son got. And then before he could actually raise his sons, they all got thrown off to different parts of the universe. And the Great Crusade is in part to bring all of humankind back under one banner, mm-hmm. but also to find this 20 lost sons, which is kind of where the main storyline is based on. Yeah. But then 10,000 years later, after all of the events happened. And that's a great but kind of summary. Point. Yeah, and I think that kind of touches, you know, that's what happens, and then you jump. Uh, basically, he ends up finding them, you know, long story short, and then um, is betrayed by one of them, and then has to go into that golden throne, and then 10,000 years later, you know, we are where we are, and um, uh, some of the Primarchs are waking back up, because after the heresy, you know, the Horus heresy, it's referred to as that because his son Horus literally mm. stabs him in the back. Um, so half the Marine chapters fall to chaos, half our loyalist or sort of loyalist if you're a dark angels player <laughs> but uh we'll get into that in briefly <laughs> but um and then you know ten thousand years later we have these legions uh they splinter off there's a bunch of rules uh that have to do with running them so you can only have x amount of marines in your legion because of what happened during the heresy oh so it's all kind of a reaction to that one act of betrayal um i was actually thinking about this um in reference to tolkien too so I think a lot of Warhammer sort of storylines end up using a lot of conceptions of like falling. Same with Tolkien. So every race kind of has this moment where they fall out of grace. Um, and that when that happens, the rest of their actions kind of determine um, how they kind of react to that fall and um, what takes place there. I mean, that's just a, a little bit of a theory on my end, but <laughs> you do see it very often. Um, where there's a distinct moment where they uh, some race falls, and then 10,000 years later, they're still dealing with it um, in a certain way. 
Yeah, and that's only because I am currently reading the Silmarillion <laughs> while we're talking, and then I'm making these kind of connections. But um, so I think that's good for an overview. Um, because I don't want to dive too deep because we are going to try to talk about every chapter briefly and that's going to take up some time. So um, I guess without further... Sorry. I think the main problem with uh, things like this is like you want to do an overview on Space Marines, but then the second you get talking about the Emperor, that's like an entire episode by itself. Yeah, it's true. You talk about, like, any Primarch becomes its own episode because there is 30 years of lore that's built on top of itself. Yeah, and books and books about some of these specific characters, or uh, if it's not about them, they're featured in it, you know, so um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, so I guess with that, you know, I'll just kind of try to make sure that we uh, are, you know, timing right. And when I feel like we've gone too far, maybe just be like, all right, next topic. But <laughs> um, So we're going to talk about the Blood Angels, which uh, is Corey's. I would, are they your primary faction, would you say? They're definitely my primary faction. They're my first love. Um, they are, yeah, that's the team I play. That's the army I play. All right, cool. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, you have my notes. So go over some of, you know, the, just some general stuff about them. Um, maybe just an introduction to their lore uh, and then, you know, move on to sort of tabletop. And I'll try to chime yeah, in, but so you know more about them, so... They're basically a lot of like the different chapters kind of take their their way their place from different like artistic periods or different cultures on Earth that we've seen. Like everything from 40k is kind of stolen from somewhere and then made its own yeah. over the 30 30 year period. Um, Blood Angels are very much like Italy Italian Renaissance. I never made that connection, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I have like this weird, uh, like self hatred of being Italian. I don't know. It's like weird. <laughs> oh, so this is a personal thing. <laughs> it's a very personal thing. And so, like, what actually got me into the Blood Angels is they have very, a very striking look about them. Like, there's there's a lot of there's a sanguinary guard, which are are like gold plated warriors with death masks on their face. Um, which caught me right away because I love random medieval armor that looks like a yeah. human's face. Though, um, just a like, note too, the Sanguinary Guard, uh, they're so cool looking. They're so cool. <laughs> that was like, uh, that and like the Death Company, they're like all black and they're, like, they're just insane looking or like Dante, the chapter master. Yeah. Um, cool too, like Who that. needs a new like, model, FYI. He need, is in desperate need of being updated. Needs it so bad, and I know the second I make my own version of him, they're gonna sell it, and it's gonna look ten times better. So I'm afraid to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if history is kind of an indicator, they haven't updated him in like twenty years, so you might be good. <laughs> I'm hoping so. I'm really hoping so. Um, but basically, so the Blood Angels are loved by their primarchs, Linus, who is this blue-eyed, blonde hair, uh, very Michelangelo-esque angel. He looks like something straight out of the Bible. He's beautiful. He's he's very endearing. Everybody likes him, and he's got big, beautiful white wings. And he got abandoned on the planet of Ball, where all the, the blood angels are from. And he dies during the Horus Heresy. It's like a whole thing that it's a it's a mark on the blood angels. But they're on this planet Ball, which is basically a desert planet where all these mutations took place. So he was kind of the savior of these people of Ball. Now can become space marines, and they, they, they take from that. So the, the Sanguinary Guard, which is like my favorite, my favorite unit, are the Honor Guard for the Chapter Master, which is Dante. He's the longest living space marine alive. Mm. Uh, and they all wear, well, Dante wears the death base mask, the death map of Sangu uh, Sanguinius, and then all of the, all of the Sanguinary Guard all wear death masks of the person who came before them in the Sanguinary Guard. So if you die and you get replaced, you're wearing the guy's face of who was there before you. Yeah. Uh, also, while you're talking about Dante, too, I was just reading a pretty cool short story about the Blood Angels um, maybe a few weeks ago where Dante actually meets the Silent King. So cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It's a good. It's a short, good read for those of you. I forget what it's called, though. So. <laughs> they go through this whole short story, and they, they're 
they're just talking to the Silent King and all these things happen. The Silent King is the, the leader of the Necrons. And they're talking to him and he's having this whole discussion and he, he comes to peace with them over something. Tyrannus. Yeah, yeah, and it gets to the end of the, the gets to the end of the story and like one of the generals uh, of the, the Blood Angels says, How can you talk to them? There's Zumos, they're bad guys, they're all this and you're gonna trust them? And then like Dante reveals underneath his armor that there's like a nuke strapped to him. Yeah, he like drove a rhino to go yeah. meet him. And he had the bombs underneath and didn't tell his, uh, like, companions that he had, like, a backup plan to fuck him, so. Yeah, Dante's just old, angry, and, and will just kill anybody. He, he's almost died multiple times. He almost died at the turn of the edition when they, they released all the stories. And as he was dying, Sanguinius came to him in a vision and told him it's not his time yet. And it was, like, the biggest blue ball situation in the world. So, you know, Yeah, definitely. And um, I guess like to touch on to, you know, just to ask you. So um, I know a lot of our listeners will might know this, but um, just touch into kind of like the thirst, because I think it's important. And um, also kind of why people call Blood Angels the vampires chapter, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, there is the vampire part, which is something I didn't learn until like much later. And I was like, all right, that's cool, I guess so. But there's like two big gene malfunctions that happen when you become a blood angel. So you don't start off with these genes, you're a human, and then they give you this gene seed and they change your organs and you become more like... Ripped like, as like, fuck. Like, <laughs> so like, you, you can be whatever you want and then all of a sudden you take this gene seed and you start changing your body. And with that comes like a curse, like a blood angel curse, where it's the red thirst, where they... And you love, like you have a, a, a there's surveillance in blood. Mm. And it's like a whole thing. And I'm not fully in on all the lore of the Red Thirst, exactly. But it's like this dark, for Sanguinius himself, there's kind of like a hidden secret that we didn't tell anybody. And they talk like the reason he never fell to chaos is because he was always kind of fighting with battle. So he already knew not to like turn. It's like a weird anti hero moment for him. All the blood angels are constantly always fighting the thirst to shed and 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 gain more blood. Where there's some chapters of the blood angels, like successor chapters, who just give into it, like the flesh tears. Yeah. So like, this is our strong asset. We want to kill as much as possible. They go into like a frenzy. Like the red thirst is like a frenzy where they're like berserkers and they just can't. They go red. Like, they just black out and they kill as much as they can. Yeah, the blacking out uh, part's what I've kind of read a lot about. Um, how they black it's kind and you make that parallel. I mean, I think of them as the space vampires. Um, they just, you know, they need to drink. They, I mean, at the end, the one of the reasons I say that is they actually drink blood out of chalices. <laughs> you know, a hundred percent, and they they gain power from it. I think it's like an overall space ring thing, and I'm not sure if it's a hundred percent blood angel thing. But the blood, the, the blood thing is blood angels. But there's something with like space marine anatomy, where if you eat like the flesh of another dead, and it might be 100 percent blood angels. I'm sure someone will correct me eventually. But I've never heard of dark angels like, doing that. So <laughs> it's a very crazy thing. But the blood angels are just like 100 percent in on it. They're like, yeah, this is it. We drink the blood of our dead. We can now become um, this and this. So on top of already the blood thirst and this weird thing, it's just a self-propelling circle of them drinking more blood becoming and having to battle to get the blood and you know <laughs> yeah the whole crazy thing and they lean into it hard or they lean into it and don't tell anybody it's a good dark secret for them right well and i know about secrets that's for sure <laughs> yeah, is, uh, what's called the black rage which is a curse that came on after the horse heresy which is another dark secret of the blood angels and they it's it can happen at any time, and it's guaranteed to happen to every single blood angel. It's like, like cancer. Right. When you have, if maybe you're predisposed to a genetic mutation, they all know they're going to get it. It's all going to come eventually. But what happens is you find out, you become sanguineous in your mind, and you relive his last day when he died during the Horus Heresy. And that's just, you just believe 
hundred percent that you're him and you go to a, a unconscious blood frenzy and you can never come back from it. Mm. And so what they do is they take those Marines when it happens and they paint their armor black and they make them death company because they're just, they're not just wrecking balls. And so they paint them black and they'll keep them chained up into a battle and then they let them go and they kill everything they can kill, like ally, uh, enemy, the like. And then once the battle's over, they kill them all. So mm-hmm. they can't come back. But everybody kind of knows that eventually this is an eventuality for us. Right, it's like an age thing, almost. Yeah, they have like a doom over their head at all times, knowing that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. When. Right. All right. Uh, so I think that's a good introduction. And I, I'm just, you know, a little bit cutting you off for time's sake, but I know we could talk about this more extensively. But uh, how do they play? You know, let's. How do they play? Um, maybe cover some key units and key stratagems, and you know. I think the the best way to look at it is so the red burst itself is its own. It, it tells the story of of the way they play. It's, it's they're very hard, fast. They're very assault heavy. Mm-hmm. So like, I, when I learned playing, I kept I kept playing in the dinner tournaments, and I would like run away or do something stupid. And every time, like an older player would come to me and just be like, "You need to keep to the one rule of Blood Angel." I'm like, "What is that?" And it's ABC. It's always be charging. Mm-hmm. So at all times, it's gotta be assault heavy. They they move fast. They all have jetpacks. They all have the ability to. I mean, not they all. But the jetpack units can drop in deep. The idea is to get in your enemy's back line, put them in the melee combat, and throw them up in that way. Right. You're not going to out-shoot them. You're not going to out-run them. The idea with all Blood Angel units generally is to overwhelm them with melee. Yeah, so as they're space marines too, um, which I think we should definitely talk about all chapters have in common. Uh, pretty much you're always dealing with a relatively high toughness some and with Primaris now multiple wound model, so they're uh, durable, um, very durable. Uh, probably the most durable army I think there is, just because across the board you're dealing toughness four, you know. Oh yeah. So. Strong, man. Yeah. So. Yeah. Great. Uh, so continue, I guess on on that. Maybe point out some key units. I know the sanguinary sanguinary guard are super good, um, and probably will be even better in ninth. Sanguinary Guard, I think like the big key units are the Sanguinary Guard. My favorite is Dante, Chapter mm-hmm. Master. But not everybody agrees with that. And that's the Death Company. And the idea, Sanguinary Guard and Death Company allow their stat labs are a lot alike, except that the Sanguinary Guard is better at hitting, and their, their weapon score is a lot higher. So the idea with them is they all get like, extra attacks. You can drop them behind enemy lines quick, and they move fast, and they kill. And the Sanguinary Guard are highly elite, so... And they, uh, uh, they deep strike, right? Guard. Sanguinary Guard? So again? Yeah, they, they can deep strike. Yeah, all right. The majority of the human on Blood Angels deep strike. I had that the problem once I played a Tau player, and we both had deep strike. And we got to, like, the very, almost the absolute limit. We went four rounds without doing anything. <laughs> that must have been an interesting game. <laughs> It was at a small point count, but we had like just primary, like one unit of primaris guys running around, <laughs> just waiting, not getting tables so I can boot strike in. Well, that's such a Tau versus Blood Angels is such two drastically different. You know, Tau want to stay back, gunline you, and Blood Angels want to get yeah. close. So that kind of extreme difference there must make it a very interesting game. You know, one mistake and you're kind of fucked. It's literally comes down to dice rolls with that. It's, it's the matchup of the century whenever you play Tau versus Blood Angels because it's either I'm getting in and I'm going to kill everybody because Tau don't really have a great melee. They have the worst melee in the game. <laughs> yeah. And Blood Angels are just going to come in and absolutely beat stick you until you're a bloody pulp. Yeah. Or the Tau are going to overwatch and absolutely mow down everything. And In my case, it was the overwatch situation. Yeah, and unfortunately... It doesn't look like that's going away anytime soon. Um, you've seen the new rules that were posted, right? Um, it looks like Tau don't have to use command points to do their Overwatch thing, which is fucking annoying. This <laughs> is like people reposting 20 memes of how the Blood Angels are back, and then they dropped that rule, and I was like, ah, oh, damn it. 
I did read something that uh, came out. Uh, I don't know how, how legit it is, but on Reddit, I did see that flying units can not fall back and shoot anymore um, in 9th edition. If they're in close quarters combat and they have to remove themselves from close quarters combat, they can't uh, shoot. Oh. Yeah, but flying units are hard to charge in the first place. So I think I think the it was a Tau form and talking about how Tau will be affected by that too. Because mm. yeah, they have a lot of flying Gundam units and things like that. It's true. Yeah, the battle suits are all flyers technically. Mm. So, um Yeah, it should be interesting. Um but I guess uh you know if you had to summarize uh Corey uh just so we can move on to the next chapter too. Um if you had to summarize, you know, kind of like a elevator pitch for um Blood Angels, you know, give us that, I guess. Uh yeah, so Blood Angels are nice to look at and very deadly up close. The best way I can describe them is we said the same with football. We walked into the football coach was right on the board and it said uh it was weight times acceleration equals force. Uh, <laughs> I like that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's just like, don't move me in because it's like, let me win, it's over. And that's kind of how Blood Angels are. I've also so, heard, too, uh, also to. Sorry. What was that? I said they're beautiful to look at, but the second you take your eyes off them, you're, you're screwed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also read that they are just, I guess, briefly, because I think we should do this for every army. They're a third or fourth turn army. Um, yeah. So that's and that's basically because that's typically when they get into assault. So, <laughs> um, do you watch Tabletop at all? Oh yeah, I actually saw. I, I think I got that quote from them. <laughs> the, the, the Blood Angel player in like one of their last videos gets his, his ass kicked for like three rounds, and they're like, "This is just out of hand. It's not going to come back." And then in the fourth round, he completely catches up to the score and almost wins the entire game. Yeah, just by. Just and he's a great Blood Angels player too. I think he goes a lot to I forget his name, but he is in the tournament scene. Um and he was saying he usually plays Blood Angels in tournaments, so that's the new big thing is that everybody kinda shunned Blood Angels for a little bit because they they got nerfed in the last edition. To the point where I went to buy them, the store owner just looked at me and goes, Are you sure? He asked you, Are you sure? All right. And I was like, Yes, I'm going home with these guys. I'm happy I did. Yeah, definitely. And um I think ninth we should see some great great things from Blood Angels actually. So I think they're I mean last episode uh we were talking about predictions for ninth and I Blood Angels was the first thing I thought of. Um they're gonna be much more effective. Yeah. Well ninth is exciting also just because I'm excited for my army to play the way it's supposed to play. Right. The, yeah. the, the only reason I'm not mad about that channel when we watch rules because the way they focused it at this point was uh, every army should have the ability to play the way they're supposed to play. Yeah. Without feeling like they're And so, like, for Tau to have Overwatch abilities, I'm okay with that, because that's what they're good at. Just like, Dark Blood Angels should be able to charge better. Yeah, if you took the Overwatch away from Tau, they would just be a less durable gun line than IG. So, I see. That yeah, she's not a Yeah, I see the reasoning. So, um, I guess... You know, also now, without further ado, uh, we'll move on to uh, my chapter. <laughs> um, and, 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 oh, no problem. And uh, it's, uh, you know, you, one thing you'll notice about, you know, Corey and myself and our corresponding chapters is the absolute love uh, for them that we have. Um, and the argument that will never be won is whose chapter is better because... <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think I'll ever think the Blood Angels are better than Dark Angels and vice versa. So, I mean, I think they're cool. Definitely don't disrespect them. But, um, you know, when you pick an army, you get attracted to it in that way and you fall in love in a certain respect. The Dark Angels definitely make a really good case for that, though. True. Someone tells me they love the Angels. I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I I can get that. Yeah. But there's certain parts of, like, my personality of why, you know, just like you brought up the Italian thing, why I'm attracted to Dark Angels in the first place um, is kind of like a more fundamental psychological factor about myself. So um, it's just interesting that way. But 
Um, all right, so I will basically go over the same thing um, for Dark Angel. So we'll start briefly with some lore, and I'll real try, really try to keep it brief because I think I have actually a lot to talk about with the way they play, um, especially coming up in ninth. Um, so the Dark Angels are a the first chapter ever. So you know, fuck everyone else, but <laughs> <laughs> um, they. Uh, they were the first founding chapter, meaning their structure was a little bit different. They had six wings, and the Emperor was kind of experimenting with how to have a Space Marine chapter function when uh, they were designed. So um, you have to, the only reason I bring that up is because you have to keep that in mind that they probably have a lot. They unite their successor chapters uh, under one banner, kind of. So they have a lot more Marines than Gilliman would like them to have, um, and that's kind of one of their secrets so uh speaking of secrets the dark angels yeah i'll have to cover that right now um so you have leon l johnson he's their primarch he's this um knightly guy and knightly is basically the dark angels thing um if the emperor in all 40k is based off of sort of the the knights of the round table the dark angels are even more based off the knights of the round table um they are essentially um a knightly chapter and they function a lot like medieval knights um their world was actually uh caliban is where they're from originally um and it's based off of um kind of that medieval knight lore so when the primarch arrived there um you know you would have knightly orders battling these monsters um and they literally be these monsters from the warp um that they'd go out and slay kind of like a knight slaying a dragon so um Long story short, Leon L. Johnson ended up uh, using Caliban as the founding uh, planet, and um, he met the Emperor, was one of the top, I think, um, so there's three Primarchs who became like the Emperor's uh, most trusted allies um, of the Loyalist Marines. One, Sanguinius from the Blood Angels, two, Leon L. Johnson, and then three, Gilliman, Robert of the Ultramarines, or Roberte, I don't even know. But um, so those three were kind of, really close and essentially ran his forces. Um, and Gilliman uh, of the Ultramarines is kind of jealous of Leon. I don't want to get into it. See, I'm already starting <laughs> to get distracted. So anyways, they're on, yeah, they're on Caliban and um, the Horus heresy happens. And here's where the dark angels start to develop their sense of identity away from the night thing. Um, and this harks back to my secrets point. So, during the Horus Heresy, Leon L. Johnson takes about half of the Marines um, away from the planet. And he has this right-hand man named Luther, who stay, he makes, they had a little argument. So he's like, all right, Luther, you got to go back to Caliban and, you, you know, just kind of chill out, you know, make sure it doesn't get attacked, all, all that, be the primary defense. And um, so the Horus Heresy happens, the Emperor dies, and then the uh, Dark Angels come back to Caliban. Um, and realize Luther has now been corrupted by chaos. So um, him and all of his gang of space marines that stayed on Caliban have kind of a civil war. Um, and then, long story short, there's this big warp explosion, blows up Caliban, sends all the people who fell to chaos that were part of the Dark Angels chapter across the universe and space and time. And um, basically, that comes to their big secret. The Dark Angels' big secret is that they should be a traitor legion, technically speaking. Um, they fell to chaos. Um, half of them, technically half of them, but uh, at the time, the Imperium would have considered that heresy. So um, they hide that, and then that big secret kind of <laughs> boils up to all these other secrets 10,000 years later. So now when you're inducted into the um, what's called the Inner Circle, you learn about this. You don't know about it. Um, all the way through your Space Marine training, um, they bring you up and you go through the different companies and then eventually you hit um, the Deathwing, uh, the first company, and they're like, oh, by the way, you know, we have all these fucked up things that you should know about. So um, the Inner Circle um, kind of maintains that and the Chapter Master, Asriel, um, knows way more than even the Inner Circle because only the Chapter Master gets to learn kind of the secrets, um, which I think he might know that Leo, uh, Leon L. Johnson's sleeping, which he is, so... He's actually alive in the 40k universe, which is why we're hoping uh, that he gets released as a model soon. Hopefully, ninth. So, um, literally, the 
second they released that model on their starter Dark Angels armor. <laughs> second they released that model, I might um, have a stain in my pants. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I hope not, but I hope some major change in the lore is going to happen because it's been needed. Um, but I guess on that note, there's a brief introduction. I could talk about the Dark Angels all day, and I won't. So let me go on to how they play. So I did mention this briefly in the lore, and this does actually um, correspond to how they play. So there's three different wings currently of the Dark Angels. There's the first company, or Death Wing, and think of th- all the Terminators. Uh, Lou is very familiar with my mm. knights. They come from Death Wing. Um, <laughs> he's very too familiar (laughs) i think they blew up uh one of our games we played recently they blew up your your bane blade single-handedly yeah probably turn one no no, (laughs) they deep strike so it has to be turn two or more yeah that was two games ago yeah they just uh they charged me and that was basically it yeah and i always keep them in reserve because they're a good unit to come clean up um the rest of the battlefield but that's one of the wings second wing which lou also hates are my bikes raven wing and I pretty much these days run a mono Raven wing list, uh, minus the Knights. So it's very heavy on some of the Raven wing HQs, which add buffs um, to the bikes and then a couple of the land speeders because they're cheap and effective. Um, but anyway, so and then the, the, the third wing is called, uh, well, on the pop, you know, like Reddit, you'll see it's called Green Wing. It just means, well, nowadays it just means Primaris Marines, basically. Um, or tactical squads, scouts, stuff like that. So it's anything that's not a bike or a Terminator, essentially, or a commander, I guess. But those three wings um, run in conjunction with one another. So one of the interesting things about Dark Angels is that you have to know how to balance what each of the wing does. Um, it's kind of like Drukari, where there's three distinct um, factions within one faction, so um, in order to balance out those factions, you've got to know how they work, what the units do, and why they do it, um, and then use that on the battlefield correspondingly. So um, yeah, it's a very interesting way to play an army, but I think that will translate well when I start playing Drukari more, just because it's... There's so much plasma. Oh, oh yeah, that too. Holy shit. Oh my I can't God. believe I forgot. Dark no Angels are the plasma. They're the plasma marines. I mean, that's been their thing for <laughs> forever, so... <laughs> um yeah and uh one of the best stratagems out there and i will mention this if you're new to dark angels or even thinking about playing know the stratagem weapons of the dark age it increases um your damage output on plasma uh and that's the main reason to use it um so if you overcharge and keep in mind if you pack a talon master and samuel in there you're overcharging with rerolls, so it's very unlikely you'll kill yourself Although, uh, there's been a few games where I've wiped out half my squad. Fingers crossed. But, you know, <laughs> that being said, I wiped out half my squad and took out, like, two Lehman Russes. So, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, um, that is a, one of the main strategies I want to highlight for them. Um, and then, I guess, you know, before we move on and just kind of open the discussion, because um, we are a little bit, bit on time, but I did want to concentrate on Dark Angels and Blood Angels. So, um after this, we'll just kind of talk about, you know, just open it up to Marines and, you know, what's good, what's not and all that. But um, Ravenwing are going to be good in ninth. Um, the book that was Ritual of the Dam was just released and there's a whole lot of new stratagems for basically mono Ravenwing lists, um, meaning bikes and bikes and bikes. So um, plasma bikes. So too. Mm. So um, they're going to be really effective. They now have uh, all the wings got their own warlord traits with um, the new um, Psychic Awakening Codex. So it's actually a pretty, I think Ravenwing are going to be, you know, pretty competitive in, in ninth, um, which is nice because as Corey mentioned, um, Blood Angels and Dark Angels haven't been good uh, for a long time. Um, and I, they haven't played the way they should because of all the nerfs. And in the meta, they've been decent. They're still Marines, but they haven't been able to do what they should be doing and i think knife is you're going to see changes with that did you want to chime in there Corey? real i'm sorry you just got to work really hard in eighth edition to make your guys play the way you want them to play yeah like you can play as a army you can play as a dark angels army but in order for them to do what you need them to do you need to put way too much work in to get them to there yeah yeah definitely um i think it's becoming a lot easier um 
and we should see it translate well in ninth. Um, I think the Blood Angels are, you know, going to be able to get into Assault more, for example. Um, the Dark Angels will keep their mobility, but have little things that actually make them able to blow up tanks. <laughs> um, I think one of their primary weaknesses is um, they do not, the Dark Angels do not have a lot of heavy damage weaponry. So you have to kind of, you know, use a command point every time and you don't get as many if you're running Ravenwing because you're doing, um, you know, that specialist fast attack detachment. So, you, you know, it's really hard to put up a, you know, for example, what, what was your IG's command? Like what, 15? <laughs> for wait, how many command points I have? Yeah, to start off on your list. Well, I have a battalion, right? Which no, you have a super battalion. Super battalion, I yes. I what it's called. Yeah. So I get like, I have like 15 and then... Uh, you know, I spend three on my like, specialty tank detachments and, and things like that. Right. But, but uh, you I think, start with 15. Yeah, I, I start with I, seven. Yeah, <laughs> you I know? still start with 15. You started with seven. Seven or eight. No, nine, nine. Wow. Because I made it work with, because I, ha I have to add scouts. And in mm. ninth edition, you're not going to have, have to, to pay do for that. that? Um, what do you mean pay for that? Pay for scouts. Like to, I mean, in order the points, to, yeah. Well, uh, I'm talking about command points. Oh, no. I no. just have to put it, them in. I wouldn't have them. That's like 150 points. I could add a squad of bikes. Yeah. If um I wasn't affected by the, what was that Corey? So it's just like when you have to take the scouts just to get the command points. It just feels like filler. Yeah. Put in bodies on the, that's gonna get in the way anyways. It absolutely is a filler, and they don't really do anything. Like they infiltrate, yeah, cool. But they're not an effective use of my points. Well, like the snipers killed my uh my warlord first. That is turn. true. Yeah, it is true. That but you're an IG warlord, so not the toughest yeah. character. <laughs> true, true. So, um, yeah, and uh, I guess um, I just want to mention, uh, too, you know, so there's two other primary chapters that we haven't really talked about. Um, and I do kind of, since we're running kind of short on time, after I just mentioned them, um, we'll just move on to kind of... Uh, you know, I'll just ask the question, well, how do you think they're going to do in ninth? You know, what are some of the cool things they do um, in eighth? You know, so we'll just go over just a general. I'll open it up. But um do want to mention Space Wolves, who are the Space Vikings, essentially, and the Ultramarines, who are... <laughs> uh, they are... They do everything well, but they don't do anything good. They're also just the most boring. I mean, this is controversial, but I think they're the most boring part of 40K. The Ultramarines are the blue Marines you see on every fucking GW, you know, poster. Yeah. They're like the Yankees of Warhammer. Yeah. You, know, you can't hate them because they make money, but at the same time, you don't like them. I mean, I'm a Yankee fan, but I understand other people's points of view. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They make money, unless you, like, get into it. Once you get asked playing Warhammer and you look at them, you're like, I don't really want to do that. Yeah. They are kind of the... They're the generic army. They're, you know, vanilla, like you mentioned earlier. <laughs> what makes people want to gravitate towards them? I don't know. Uh, either I think it's either because they're so heavily uh, in everything. Like, they, they are the main guys, I guess. They do have... Robot Gilliman was the Primarch who's back, and we have a model for him. So, hypothetically, they're strong because they have a model for the Primarch, even though anyone can really use them. Yeah. And I guess if you want to come from like a lore perspective, they're heavily Roman inspired. Yeah, they are. That's cool. Kind of like a weird Roman esque thing, which never really. I've gotten into Rome, I've been excited by it, but I've never wanted a Roman army. Yeah. Which goes back to my Italian hate himself, but <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's too vanilla. It's too basic. I think it's also another reason why people get into is because of those external uh, factors. Like, um, so for example, that game I've been playing recently, um, Space Marine on Xbox 360, huh? you play as an Ultramarine. So if you don't know anything about 40K and you're playing this game and you're like, oh, I want to try this out. What's what are you thinking of? You're like, oh, I want to be that guy who mowed down those fucking orcs, you know? And he's an ultramarine, so. <laughs> That's the craziest. The craziest thing about 40k is, especially with space marines, because I love space marines very deeply. When you get into them, like there are 18 
main, main chapters. Nine of them go evil, and the other nine are good. And so you see, like, the four main guys who we're basically talking about. And then you know that there's, like, another five main chapters. Yeah. And until you delve into their histories and stuff, you haven't even, like, seen the iceberg, never mind standing on the tip of it. Yeah. So second, like, you know that there are these other chapters beyond Ultramarines. Like, I was lucky enough to have my eye caught by that company when I jumped in. But if you were just going in on Ultramarines, then they're the absolute neutral. And then you find out everything else, your mind is absolutely blown. Especially if you have, like, a a love for some specific time in history or something. Yeah, There's definitely. There is something for everybody. Um, and, um... You know, for example, uh, we haven't even talked about them. I actually think I'm going to divvy this up into two parts this episode. So, um, you know, we can just continue talking. And then next time um, we'll talk about the other chapters um, and not our ninth hopes. Uh, I just realized that um, this is going to be a big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, out of all the yeah. different uh, Space Marine chapters, uh, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of Space Marines, period. But the Space Wolves but, are, are Here's the thing, favorite. though. Saying I'm not a fan of Space Marines means you haven't discovered the other chapters. They're, They're all unique. I'm, I, I guess that is a very yeah. vague and general like statement. But I guess what I'm trying to say yeah. is, out of all of the factions, uh, Space Wolves is my favorite so far. Mm. Do you like the show Vikings on History Channel? Yes, I do, yeah. <laughs> I like I just like, I, I, Lou and I were talking about this because I'm fascinated by Viking. I actually learned runes a few years ago when I was working on my master's degree, I think. Um, that just gives me, yeah, and I was super into the, the Eddas, what they're called, basically their old poetry. And um, I've always been fascinated by kind of their mythology. So I, I think I bought Space Wolves first before Dark Angels. That was the first game I ever played with you. Is I used Space Wolves oh, yeah. at the hobby shop before and before the job. We realized real quick that Wolfen were fucking awesome. They were amazing. <laughs> so uh, Lou kind of wants to do a more fluffy army there. Um, I know he won't call it fluffy, but he wants to run like all wolves. Yep. <laughs> it would look really cool. Yeah, I think in the narrative campaign, I think that would be a good army to yeah. look into, like running all wolves, because uh, it'd be really cool. So. I'm pretty sad on orcs after I do Thousand Suns. So true. Well, you're already playing Marines; they're just yeah. chaos. So, um, but that's cool. I mean, there's so many. I, I guess uh, lots to discover. Yeah, I think um, just to kind of wrap this—not wrap it up completely up—but to just our last topic, we'll talk about that. I wanted to talk about, um, and then next time we'll talk about. Um, the other chapters um, and our hopes for ninth, even if it's a shorter episode, I just think we got to go to. Um, but anyways, so um, there's three unit um, or three points about the game or um, yeah, I guess uh, that I just wanted to touch on the first, which will probably take up the most time. I want to talk about Primaris Marines. I think they're a very important part of the way space Marines have developed. Um, and I guess let's just start there. So, uh, Corey, your thoughts on Primaris? <laughs> I'm of a very particular uh, group of people. I'm sure Lou's of the same generation where Primaris were the first Marines I had. Mm-hmm. I walked into the store, and the store owner handed me a box of Primaris Marines and said, you need these? And I was like, yeah, these sound great. And so when I found out about the firstborn Marines, like the normal Adeptus Astartes, that kind of took me a while to catch on to what had happened. Okay. I like them. I think they're cool. I think they look really cool. I think GW probably could not unroll them the correct way. Yeah. So when I see having problems with them, because ideally, Primaris are the next generation of Space Marines. They're better, faster, stronger, taller. Yeah. And it was Game Workshop's reason for creating like real scale Space yeah. Like the weird movie dudes. I was gonna say that like too. Idea, but what I heard the original idea before they created all the lore behind Primaris was they were just supposed to be a new armor mm-hmm. and a new way of doing it. And then all of a sudden they decided to come up with a huge Dominus Crusade background where they were made to be better and they created a whole bunch of problems for themselves. Yeah. So yeah. I think 
the way they did it was sloppy, and I don't love it. And I've learned not to love it over time, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. And I think they're cool song, and, and when you see them on the on the board, which is most important. Yeah. They're, I, they're really they look cool. I think um so. I think initially the uh, concept there was we just want to rescale Marines. You know, we want to make them bigger and more effective. Um, thus Primaris. However, you know, like you mentioned, the execution of it was really terrible. Like if they had just said, hey, here's these new models for your Marines without going into some of the rules that also make them overpowered um, and just doing, you know, like release, re-releasing all the models re-releasing a codex that renamed them and being like okay these you know you have these scouts now you know intercessors you know (laughs) so um i think the execution was very very poor on their part um the models are really cool though like uh one of my favorite units is aggressors they're fucking awesome looking i've never gotten them they look cool though they're really cool they've got those huge bolt guns Uh, the, uh, I you know I they screwed up the names, man. They gave them all names that are a way too close together. Yeah, the only ones I'm like super. I forget what they're called, but the only ones infiltrate. No, infiltrators are like scouts. I think I think it's the scepters. Yeah, I think but so. I had to go out and buy them. They look so cool, but they screwed up the names. They made them too hard. I mean, space marine names already were all. Like weird Roman and Latin mm-hmm. names that they created, which was already confusing. And then they made up names like Inceptors and Inse- Intercessors. <laughs> and Incestors. Yeah, they made it confusing for everybody for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, definitely. And, um, oh, yeah, I just mean, primary, they're good now. Now they're finally becoming really effective. I don't really run any any yet in my Deathwing list or uh, Ravenwing list. Um, I'm I have an alternate list of all Primaris and Lunos. I've been working on kind of buying some of those, but um, you know, one squad sixty bucks. Didn't the Dark Angels not take Primaris? Like from not at first, yeah. But in um in uh the Ritual of the Damned and the Lore. The Ritual of the Dam was the first time uh, one of their captains, who was in the Inner Circle, um, went through the Rubicon Primaris, which, Lou, that just means they took a normal Space Marine, did some surgery, and now he's a Primaris Marine. Oh, wow. Yeah. So There's a whole history down to this with the crossing of Rubicon and Julius Caesar, and they used cool names for it. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. like a weird history, but whenever like something like that pops up, I can talk for like an hour on it. <laughs> There's a lot of friends Yeah, so uh, anyway. Yeah, so the Dark Angels did not trust the primary. They don't trust anybody. So when these new Marines who weren't, you know, kind of part of their process came in, they said basically like fuck that, they're going to be like our front lines and die. Um but now time has gone on enough that some of them have moved up the ranks and so in ninth edition, at least in the lore of the Dark Angels, they're going to start to deal with some of that um mistrust, I think. Um, but now, uh, well, those new models they release in that box set are Deathwing, which is a big deal for Dark Angels. Um, they're going to run as basically part of the first company, meaning they're all part of the inner circle, which is very, 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 un- and they're not in Terminator armor, which is very, very, very unusual for, for Dark Angels. See, it's crazy from that perspective though, because for you guys, it took you a long time to get them. And for Blood Angels, we didn't really have a choice. Mm. Because from the lore perspective, the Blood Angels literally got like 90% wiped out during the devastation of Love and like during its attack. At the beginning of 8th edition, when they they brought them in, they were like, well, Blood Angels are like 90% primaries now. Right, that's true. You guys are all this new race, and that's just how it is. And I don't know if they did that on purpose with the Blood Angels to be like, people love Blood Angels, they're going to love Primaries now. (laughs) Maybe. yeah that is it's totally opposite because for us it's always been like for me primaris has always felt like a an evil that i have to accept like because i have all these other cool units like the bikes and deathwing knights and deathwing terminators and you know the, the flyers are dark talon ravenwing dark talons fucking nasty i haven't run that against lou but he would hate me if i did so <laughs> <laughs> 
but I do have a list with three dark talons and eight loose, so look for that sometimes. I'm crying inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, you know, uh, I think we're, you know we can call it uh, pause right now, and you know, um, so next time, look, we're gonna be back talking about Space Marines Part Two. Um, we're gonna go over. Uh, the other chapters, um, we'll go over more. I think we'll, we should talk a little bit more about Space Wolves and Ultramarines because they des- deserve their um, fair time. We'll talk about the chapters that we don't play, essentially. Um, and, yeah. you know, we'll talk about our hopes for ninth and some of the eighth history. And then uh, the episode after that, we're talking Imperial Guard. So And I'll be ready. Yes. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Corey, for joining us today. And, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, follow us on Instagram, all that marketing stuff that you're supposed to say at the end and oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> look for part two, uh, releasing, um, we'll probably do next week. Yeah. Um, let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, thanks again, Corey. And, uh, for our listeners out there, stay tuned, uh, at Foxtrot Battleline. Thanks for joining us.